This is an IMA podcast. The Institute of Modern Art is a contemporary art space in Brisbane, Australia. Since 1975, we have been presenting cutting-edge visual arts through our annual program of exhibitions, public programs, publications, and off-site initiatives by local, national, and international artists. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where the IMA now stands, the land of the Yuggera and Turrbal people. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This podcast is a conversation between the curatorium of this language that is every stone, which is on display at the IMA from the 12th of February to the 16th of April 2022. The curators of the show are Hans Ulrich Obrist, Warabar Weatherall and Asad Raza. They are speaking with the editor of the exhibition's publication, Olivia Fairweather. Hans Ulrich, Warabar and Assad discuss the development of the show, the post-colonial theories of Martinique philosopher Edward Glisson, and what his work means for Australian communities. Thank you all for for joining today. Um, I perhaps have um, a question to start the conversation going, and and that's how did this exhibition um, come about? That's a good question, Olivia, and we didn't actually really assess that before because I I think that, for me at least, the early origins start with the the book that I helped produce with Hans Ulrich called Ways of Curating in the early 2010s because it was there that we really started to speak together a lot about Glissant, uh, who I was aware of, And, and, and several years later, um, when I was the artistic director of the Villa Empin, um, the idea of doing a series of shows or doing a show and, and making it into a series potentially uh, came up. And and then, of course, we started to talk about it there. But the longer roots, I think, of the show are actually with Hans Ulrich's relationship, personal relationship with Gleason. That's a story that I've actually myself uh, not heard. So I would be very interested to know about the, the longer roots of the relationship between Hans Ulrich and Gleason. Yes, it probably goes back to 1986, when as an 18-year-old teenager, I went to Rome. I was encouraged to um, visit Alighiero Boetti's studio by my friends, Peter Fischer and David Weiss, and we went on some kind of school trip with school, and um, and I sort of um, skipped one afternoon of the program instead of going um, uh, to see some... Um, Ruins, I think. I don't know what the problem was. I went to see Boetti uh, in his studio next to the Pantheon, and he told me about a writer whose work at that time wasn't familiar to me, called Edouard Glissant, who would bring together, you know, all the world's imaginations and um, uh, and all the world's cultures. And um, and yeah, that was sort of the first time that the seed, I would say, was planted. And then I started to read Glissant in the early '90s and. Of course, it sort of became, I think, really, really important because the the, the forces of globalization um, could be clearly felt, you know, in the art world as well. It was not the first time that the world experienced uh, globalization, but it was clearly, you know, extreme and um, uh, also full, of course, by technology and acceleration. Um, and in fact, these forces of globalization had arrived also in the art world. And, in a way, there were many aspects to that. I mean, on one hand, 
a very positive and important aspect of cars, which is the idea that it led to a much more polyphonic, you know, art world and something Pisa always said when he talked about Mondialité, uh, when he talked about the archipelago, uh, not a continental art world, but a archipelago art world. But it also, of course, as Glissant wrote a lot, it led to the danger of homogenizing forces of globalization um, leading to extinction, leading to um, not only environmental disaster, but also the disappearance of many cultural phenomena, languages, the extinction of languages, which as Glissant said needs to be resisted. But more so also, or I would say in addition to that, uh, there was a second, uh, another aspect, which is basically a counter reaction. Glissant always predicted a counter reaction will come where uh, basically new forms of localism would appear in relation or in reaction to these you know, extreme globalizing forces new forms of localism, which would actually um, uh, lack tolerance and which would, uh, you know, deny a global dialogue. And he said, Glissant said, you know, this also needs to be resisted. And I think that's one of the things, of course, which Poeti was interested in because he had a kind of a mondialite practice the way he was in communities in Afghanistan and later on in Pakistan and kind of connected to the local. And uh, I would say, uh, it took a lot of time then until I finally met Glissant because it's only after having read him for almost a decade, it's only in the, after him having influenced, you know, almost all the shows I've done in the 90s. I mean, he was a big influence on Cities on the Move, which we did with Wuhan Ru, which was an exhibition related to Asian cities where we looked at an exhibition which would actually each time listen to the local context but further a global dialogue, sort of a mondialite principle. So, Glissant applied, one can say, or even more so with Do It, you know, the exhibition with instructions and recipes and how-to manuals, which would always listen to the local context. The idea of Glissant that he not only, you know, try to bring together all the world's imaginations, but also kind of find ways that exhibitions can meet and hear one another and have to do with listening came also from that. And I would say very importantly, also the idea of Glissant that at the end of the day, um, exhibitions are traditionally presented in you know, museums and in galleries. And that means that there are doors, no? Museums and galleries have doors. And as Glissa always said, these doors means, these doors mean that exhibitions are invisible to large sections of society. And he always would encourage, you know, to think about other forms of engagement uh, into new models of exhibitions that, uh, you know, would go to the people. Uh, so it was an incredible uh, you know, influence on a show like Do It or Take Me, I'm Yours, where the exhibition would go to the people, right? Where we wouldn't wait in the museum for people to come. Or even a project like Point Ironie, you know, where we would do this magazine with Agnes B and print it 100,000 copies and disseminate it each time to a different mailing list, right? So each time the artist could actually with us uh, decide where these 100,000 copies go. So it wouldn't be like a homogenized you know, list. It would be an archipelic you know, model of distribution. Um, and so it was incredible that all of a sudden then in the late 90s, when I worked on this with Brodansky, with Christian Brodansky, and actually the artist, the late artist, and also Agnes B, uh, we, we worked on this magazine, the Point d'Ironie, this dissemination idea. Um, an idea from Brodansky actually inspired us about this song. Um, and we worked on that. And at some point I told Agnes about um, 
the influence and immense inspiration. And it's actually, we must maybe say that it's not influence, it's the wrong word, because influence would mean a form of genealogy. Uh, but I actually don't think that uh, it's, it's that. I think it's much more, as Alexis Pauling-Gams in a seminar book, um, DAP, about Sylvia Winter says, you know, it's thinking with Sylvia Winter. So for me, it's, it's, it's thinking with Edouard Lissau, or you could even say it's curating, you know, with Edouard Lissau, and Lissau is a kind of a toolbox. And so when I told Agnes about that, she said, but that's incredible because she has known Lissau since the 60s, the late 60s, early 70s, when she met him in the Café de Flore um, with uh, the publisher, and I forgot the name of the publisher, it has come back to me. Um, and uh, yeah, with Bourgois, with Christian Bourgois. And so basically um, uh, she's, she, she just called him and she says, I'm here with Hans and you know, um, he's deeply you know, connected to your work, you have to meet. And that's how this first meeting then happened. And I would say out of that uh, grew the idea to kind of collaborate with Glissa on many shows. We, we did Utopia Station with Molinesquit and with Richard Tervanet. Um, we did uh, sort of lecture tours with Glissant. We traveled together to Sardinia, to Munich, to Avignon, and did these talks together. And whenever we traveled, I would also recall conversations with him. So it became a very close working relationship. And uh, on the occasion of his 80th anniversary, Edouard Glissant, uh, it was in a jazz club in Paris, hosted by Agnes B. Uh, Edouard Glissant made a very strong point that he really wanted me to be friends with Mantia Diavara and Mantia Diavara to be friends with me. He took us through the space and really tried to find us both and bring us together and said that he really wanted us to kind of continue the idea of his unrealized museum and maybe also think of exhibitions and formats and possibilities. Um, so all of these were like lots of, you know, there's a lot of reservoir of ideas. And then it all really came together when Assad and I, as Assad said, started to work on this book together uh, for Penguin and went on endless walks and coffee breaks and spent uh, throughout a year, hundreds of hours together. And out of these conversations grew the idea we, we developed together that actually there should be a, an international show, there should be an exhibition where we could not only show Glissant and encourage more translations of Glissant, but also connect Glissant to um, artists of our time, to younger generations of artists who all are somehow connected to the work and uh, make an exhibition which in a very Glissantian term wouldn't be a tour, which leads us down to Brisbane. And uh, we're very excited that this exhibition can happen in Brisbane. And it's actually not at all a tour of the show in Brussels. It's a totally, totally new exhibition born of the, uh, out of the dialogue with Araba, born out of the dialogue with the institution in Brisbane, born out of the dialogue with many artists in Australia. Thank you for that. Perhaps I, I should ask um, why, why was um, Brisbane chosen or why did Brisbane choose you? Um, why this, why Gleeson in Australia now, I think is perhaps the question. That's a good question. I think that, as always, it goes back to what um, we could call the arboreal network of Glissantians, uh, which is a network that spreads all over the world. And one of the um, one of the roots of the network, or one important branch of that network, to keep 
you know, using this metaphor, is Daniel Boyd, who is the Australian artist um, based in Sydney, originally from Cairns, um, who we know well. And, and we became friends with him because Hans Ulrich saw his portrait of Gleeson um, at the apartment of Okwi and Wezor in Munich uh, when Okwi was director of the House der Kunst. And the reason that that portrait had come into existence is that uh, Okwi, I believe, had told Daniel about Glissant and his writings uh, when they worked together on the Venice Biennale, on Okwi's Venice Biennale. And so um, Dan became very interested in Glissant, made this portrait, and after Hans Ulrich saw it, um, we got in touch with Dan to work on the on the Brussels show, and that opened up a whole world because he actually traveled to Brussels for the opening, and we got to meet him. He got to meet us and Montia, and um, and Rux Media Collective and Autolith Group, and so there was a whole meeting of people from very different parts of the world, from India, from the UK, from um, from. Cairns, as we mentioned, and then Daniel, uh, you know, wanted to bring wanted to bring the show, and I think that started the dialogue with the IMA in Brisbane, and and Dan also, I think, really alerted us to the possibility that there's an entire discourse happening in Australia that relates to um, Indigenous and Torres Strait Islanders uh, in in the in and around many of the issues that Gleeson was also thinking about, the issues of identity, the issues of the land and the waterscape's relationship to identity, the issues of how a collectivity uh, can be created out of an opaque identity rather than uh, alienation and separation. And so all of those issues were sort of in the air and in the conversation in a very advanced way in Australia already. And um, for I know Hans Ulrich did a major project in Australia several times. I also had a project in Australia in 2019, which allowed me to spend a lot of time there. And through that effort, we came to to know Liz and 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 Warbaugh. And I think maybe Warbaugh, it's interesting to hear your perspective on this as the person, of course, of the team who is who is there. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that <clears throat> there's there's a relationship with um, uh, the work of Glisson um, and that it relates to um, an Australian context and, and things that have been discussed and worked through um, uh, many artists and, and writers and academics that have been doing a similar thing, um, however, just within a localised context, still bringing it to like an international conversation. Um, but just some of the the language, I guess, um, changes. Um, so it's 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 good to see that um, you know it, that's possible for one thing to get someone who's um, as influential as as Glissant to then um, mirror that um, and and build off that within the, an Australian uh, context or people living uh, within Australia now who come from elsewhere as well it's it's almost like there's a um uh, a global indigenous kind of ontology or something that it relates to or you know like a global south or something like that that's um people are able to identify with um uh 
things in a different way that are a bit more grounded and, and um, meaningful um, within uh, relationships and culturally diverse communities and things like that. That's moving away from, you know, um, I don't know, a, a capitalist kind of framework. Um, so I think that that's really great. Um, one of the things with, um, um, I guess, the, the right for opacity um, that Glisson talks about um, is would be my favourite um, piece of writing from him, um, that it really hits home to a local experience in Australia, um, specifically in Brisbane, um, which has been um, a very politically motivated um, um, uh, city within Australia, within the Indigenous rights movement um, and and within australia that that um opacity would would that right to opacity would would actually translate to self determination um what we're more familiar with and i think you know if we talk around those terms within um you know mob that live here um that that people have a reference point to that as well and that um using that familiar language with those people um, is also part of that, that toolbox um, that um, taps into that, that shared, um, shared knowledge, shared experience through that. As I understand it, um, the, the sort of conceptual force around the organisation of this um, exhibition was centred on um, one of Glissant's perhaps... Um, one of Gleason's concepts, creolization, and I wondered if that is still a force, like working through the, that's being felt in the development of the projects for this show, and if so, um, if perhaps we could speak a little about that, like how are the artists responding to this particular concept? I I can't get off. Um, I I I think um, I so. To, to preface it, I think that um, creolization in the way that Glisson talks about um, is phenomenal. Um, I think it is um, work that needs to be shared and discussed um, throughout the world, um, especially within Australia, because it is very, um, you know, it, it is very important to the, the times that we're living in um, and, and our historical experiences as well. Um, I think that um, there is there is something that I come back to um, in in our responsibilities with um, creating artwork or curating things um, that we um, have to also um, maintain that rigor um, and and even be mindful of the language that we use and what um, is associated with that language. Um, within an Australian context, Creole, Creolization has never been something that we apply to ourselves and it's been something that's always been imposed. And so reflecting on that through the, the initial provocation for the exhibition, um, I, I think it wasn't as, as, as fitting. Um, and some of the other artists um, uh, also raised that. But I think that what Glissant was was talking to um, through creolization um, that we we all wanted to maintain because that is the very important crux of the whole uh, you know the the exhibition premise um, and so um, 
in my opinion, I, I feel like the 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 work is still very much in line with with creolization and how Gusan speaks to it and how each artist interprets that as well. Um, however, I, moving to the to the title, um, this language that is every stone, which is so much more poetic and beautiful, uh, but also referenced like the archipelago and and uh, relatedness through that, um, I think is much more fitting, but still. Um, has creolization at heart and um, yeah yeah what do, what, do, what, do you, what do you two think I think it's it's very interesting the tension that that always exists in exhibitions between trying to give coherence and trying not to use the artist's work to illustrate a, a theme that you predefined so in a way I at the beginning was interested in what this idea of creolization might look like in Australian, uh, in the Australian context, especially with diasporic and indigenous and Torres Strait Islanders uh, artists, and and um, and I think that Hans Ulrich rightly cautioned us against trying to make that too much into the frame of the exhibition, because thematic curating in which the artists illustrate an idea that we want to advance is really the wrong way around. And I think that there's more of a humility to making an exhibition with a, a group of artists who have their own powerful ways of seeing the world. That means that if you do that, you are, you are a little bit doing a certain kind of violence to their, to their work. So in a way, you're messing with the opacity of their work if you do that. And uh, so I think that we took that caution very well. And of course, we also took the caution, Warbaugh, from you, that creolization and the very word, because words matter, words are a material thing, you know, words have histories, and that the very word creole has been used in, a, in the Australian context in a, in a very different way, um, in a way that gives it a history and gives it a charge that you have to be very careful when you handle because it unearths histories of trauma, cultural dispossession, genocide, forced uh, separation from children and parents, which is as, um, you know, some of the most terrific thing experiences that you can imagine. And so you have to be very careful touching that word. What I think has been very interesting, though, is if we can move away from just the word creolization, and think about the collective that we created that itself formed a, a culture. I, I, I've found that to be one of the most uh, amazing things about the show because Hans Ulrich and I's last show uh, on these topics was in Miami uh, of the Gleason series and it was before the pandemic and we had never used Zoom. And this time, as we all know, we've all been on Zoom together so much over the whole year and our reading group that we've been doing every week, uh, every month, sorry, uh, the Gleason reading group has really created a kind of group, a collective sense of community and a set of relationships, I think powerful relationships. I know for me, it's been one of the highlights of those weeks where we do the reading group has been that those sessions where we take turns reading Glissant aloud. And I should also point out that, you know, I feel thankful. We, we feel thankful for Fred Moten's advice on that because it's Fred Moten who wrote in his text for the original uh, book that we, that we did, Mondialité, that uh, you, one should always read Glissant in groups. 
in his text um, to not consent to be a single being. And so that text was really like a guiding force for us in doing these reading groups and making this experience of coming to ideas and thoughts about Glissant together. I found that to be one of the great experiences of this show, and I would love to do that now on all the succeeding shows because we've found ways to bridge distance that we didn't have in 2019. Yeah, I think all of that is super important, and the idea, of course, of, you know, listening uh, uh, was, I think, for us and me, key. We didn't want to, you know, sort of um, have a, a version of this exhibition, but we wanted to really have a dialogue and, and, and to listen, as I said, um, the dialogue um, with the artist, with the rabbi, with the institution was was key. Um, and, and of course, it wasn't at all the idea that we would sort of pick out one theme, you know, of Glissant and then somehow impose that. But I think what was important is to have these, to have these collective readings and see what would you know grow out of that? And I think what is really important about that is the is the idea that when Glissant wanted to do his art institution, because obviously um, he always had this idea uh, or this conviction that as a as a public intellectual he um, would be involved in production of reality, which means he would um, uh, actually um, start a school, right? He started. His extraordinary school in um, in Martinique, which became formative for an entire generation, and actually emphasized, of course, the importance of uh, Creole also on Martinique in a dense school system, which was dominated by, by French. But um, uh, of course, also as a member of the resistance who spoke out in favor of Martinique's independence from France from '67 onwards, Glissant, you know, was involved in. Uh, Going beyond the space of books and theory, and actually, um, uh, yeah, as he as he always said, in, into production of, of reality, and the and the ultimate sort of unrealized project was, of course, the museum. No, he prepared for for Martinique, uh, which is a source of many ideas. It almost got realized, and when Asad and I worked with Antonio Segi, who was involved in the Brussels show, one of Glissant's close artist friends, the Argentinian political artist and painter, he basically, Segi told us, you know, Glissant brought the government of Martinique to his studio and they were kind of ready to do the museum, then bureaucratic obstacle stops it. And uh, Glissant wanted to create a museum or an institution which would not only point at urgency, but find kind of agency, you know, to respond to these urgencies. He wanted it to be a quivering place which would transcend established systems of thought. And, as he told me, he wanted to look for this utopian point, as he always said. He wanted to sort of find or search and find this utopian point where all of our cultures and all of our imaginations could actually meet and hear one another. So, so listening, you know, as Asa pointed out, was always very important. So for obviously for us with this exhibition, listening was key, but also the idea that in a way for, for Glissant, he wanted to put together, of course, a, uh, yeah, a historical and competitive encyclopedia of the arts of the Americas in this museum, but in an archipelagic kind of way. The museum as an archipelago, the art institution as an archipelago, not as a continent. So it would not house a synthesis which would serve to standardize, in Glissant's own word, 
but it would actually be a network of interrelationships between various traditions and perspectives. And uh, that definition, not that an art center or an exhibition space, or as a matter of fact, an exhibition can, can be and produce a network of interrelationships between various you know, perspectives, is very connected, I think, to what came out of these reading groups of many different perspectives. And, and, and then the next point Glissau always told me is that his All World Institute, as he called it, his, his institution for Martinique, where all the words would meet, that it, where, where words would multiply, would not be a recapitulation of something which existed in an obvious way, but it would be a quest for something we, we don't know yet. No? And I think that's very much what the process of this exhibition also became. We didn't have a, a priori, you know, that's the show. We didn't like have a checklist. Uh, the three of us didn't start out with a checklist at all, you know, where we said, uh, it's an a priori defined exhibition, but we actually started this quest for something which initially we didn't know yet. And the exhibition evolved in an almost organic kind of way. And hopefully the exhibition will be an archipelago, no? which actually does justice to the world's uh, diversity and, and is an antithesis to all these exhibitions which follow continental thought. Exhibitions which make a claim to absoluteness. Our exhibition doesn't do that. Um, exhibitions which try to force a worldview on uh, on others, something hopefully our exhibition will not do. Um, and of course, when talking about the archipelago, um, Glissant always told us that archipelic thought, that he taught that actually to Molly and Rickrit, when we worked with him on, on, on Utopia Station, that archipelic thought makes it possible to, to say that neither each person's identity nor the collective identity uh, are fixed and, and established once and for all, but it actually, uh, that we can change through the exchange with the other, and that this can happen without losing or diluting uh, our sense of self. And, and Christian said that that's what archipelic thought in a way teaches us. And, and yeah, we all believe that that's a super important thing for for this moment in time, in everywhere in the world, really. Perhaps if I could just light on something that you touched on um, very slightly there, which is this, um, this, oh, you touched on it lightly here, but it's a persist, persistent and driving theme in Gleason's work, which is an, assist, an absolute insistence on diversity. And I, I think what is striking about that is that it, in fact, seems to belong to perhaps a different theoretical moment to the current one that we are experiencing. And, but it is very like, in fact, it has a, like a force of optimism behind it. And I, I think um, in my conversations with Assad, and actually this came up in conversations that have happened elsewhere for, for this publication, particularly from Lucy Kimchi Mercier, um, this, this optimism, particularly of Gleason's later work, is something that really um, still holds people. <laughs> I wondered, perhaps Asad, I, I wondered if you could perhaps speak to to this. Uh, I, I know that I, I know that you had like a particular engagement with post post colonial and decolonial studies, and Gleason was um, in fact a sort of a changing a changing moment for you. 
I mean, not to get too much into my personal biography, but yeah, I I came from studying with, uh, you know, some of some of the important post colonialists like Edward Said and others, and uh, what eventually as I got ready to leave academia because I didn't enjoy actually working alone at the library and reading alone at the library and writing alone. Um, I preferred doing collaborative projects that propose something into the future uh, to critical accounts of the past. And Glissant was the figure who could bridge that because he was a powerful post-colonial thinker and and was coming from a completely different perspective, but he also did not produce only critique. There's a, there's a very strong forward-moving kind of current or force in his work. And so I like to bring the work uh, wherever I go. And, uh, you know, even just last night, we did a class here in, in Dusseldorf. Actually, I'm in The Hague, but I was in Dusseldorf yesterday, and we did a class, and we read Gleason together. And... Um, and we spoke again about this issue of moving into the future um, with these ideas. And so the, 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 the way you described it, though, as an optimism that comes out further in his late work, I found that really moving. You know, that's very important that if you can look as dif- at, if you can look at the history, the pain, the trauma, the suffering that is inherent in a lot of the history that we are talking about, which is the history of this planet and human beings presence here and may, and then generate a deep optimism there's something to that that's really just very moving and very and very important um i also wanted to, to know if warbaugh if you have um you know thoughts that have come over the course of this whole process because you know you you joined the team uh the curatorial team with us which we're very grateful for and and you brought a completely different perspective, which was extremely important and really impacted the show in pretty deep ways from the very beginning. But I just wondered if maybe you could speak a little bit since we're talking about newness and the most new thing here is really bringing this whole set of ideas and show to the Australian context and to the context of Brisbane. Maybe, maybe Warbaugh, you could tell us a little bit about you know how that experience has gone for you and also for the other artists who are working on the show, making new pieces in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I guess from the from the get go, I was I was really impressed and inspired to 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 both work work with you. Um, but um, seeing the process that you you follow, um, and and just gauging the artist, um, uh, interest and and motivation and excitement for the exhibition determined who was in the show and and um, you know where they sort of place themselves and. Um, like of of course, being artist led um, um, in curating an exhibition is is the best way that you could do it, but I, I feel like a lot of the time we just get caught up in the motion, uh, you know, the 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 more normal process, and we come up with a a theme or a provocation for an exhibition, and then sort of expect people to just you know fit into that, and um, it's just really refreshing to see that people. Um, are still working in exciting ways and, and being really led by the artists and, and, and uh, letting them determine by their own interest and what they're already working on um, for that to, to inform the, the exhibition. Um, I think that um, it's really exciting to, to see 
um, Australian artists, um, uh, many of which are indigenous um, uh, from here or elsewhere, um, or, um, in a group exhibition um, that's, um, you know, largely motivated by the work of Glisson, but then contrasting and complementing through um, international context, through a whole range of artists who have shown previous works, um, is, is something that's really powerful as well to, to unite those, those narratives, um, but also to, to build off them and, and, and see where that, um, you know, where those things end up, what, what, um, what has been a, an international experience of something that's relevant within Australia and, and vice versa. And, and I feel like in the longevity of it, like there's, there's some real potential for um, those artists um, potentially collaborating and, and conversating themselves around that stuff. Um, I, I feel that um, going back to what you were saying about um, um, diversity um, and, and, and um, you know, that that was such a, a crucial point um, within, um, you know, a lot of Glissant's work that, that it's, it has to have a lot of diversity. Um, I, I think that um, there's one part when I was hearing that, that it, it, it makes me think of, um, I don't feel like you can, you can address that without um, thinking about the historical context on that, on that local place of where you're at. And um, I, I think that there's, there's so much things that are still waiting to be addressed. Um, um, that, and especially within Australia um, that um, yes, ideally, like it, it'd be good to be optimistic about that, but um, <laughs> there's still a lot of work to actually do to, to correct a lot of this bullshit um, that has been imposed for so long. Um, and so um, being realistic with that, I, I think you can still have that political rigour and be direct and realistic and still being optimistic by our, our own terms of reference and, and what our own aspirations are. Um, and But doing that in a way that is... Um, conducive of, of outcomes and healing rather than um, um, regurgitating trauma or, or, you know, creating some other kind of violence. Um, and, and, and I think that comes really comes back down to, um, you know, agency and power and, and directly pointing towards creolization of, like, um, to me, they're, they're, the, they're the two motivating factors, like the... the the, the most important elements um, is who has agency and, and who is, um, what are the power dynamics? Because, you know, if, if people are, are engaging and reciprocating and, and collaborating on their own terms, then that's fantastic. Um, and and that's, that, that type of stuff is, is, is great for anyone anyway. Um, but then... Um, introducing that into a coercive um, um, sort of situation where those those power dynamics aren't equal, um, and 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 you know not just talking about historical circumstances, but talking about them today as well. Um, that that's what um, creates um, that creolization in 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 detrimental ways versus what can be um, the optimistic, more empowering ways. I should perhaps nuance that point on, on, on the optimism of Gleason's work because it's 
um, I think it's like it's truly important to um, when speaking about Gleeson to acknowledge that this is a writer who in who's the opening text of his major English work is in the manner of CLL James an examination of the genocide of the middle passage he's not this is not someone who ever turns away from the violence of what happened um, no. but but he's a philosopher who asks, like, how do we live nonetheless, and how do we dream otherwise, given the given the state of things? I think, I, I think, like, the demand to dream for something other than what we have is really, like, really powerful. That's such an important point uh, you you know you make about, uh, and and of course, this aspect of dreaming brings us also to. The whole notion of utopia, no, in in um, in Gleason, which I wanted to address, and which of course came up strongly when we spoke, you know, with him, with Molly and Rickrit preparing, you know, Utopia Station. I always remember that very first conversation at the Cafe de Flore we we had on Utopia, where Gleason was vehemently criticizing. Uh, criticizing the classical, you know, utopias such as Plato's Republic or Thomas More's Utopia, because he actually said, you know, these are static systems, uh, and he he Glissant wanted to kind of design alternative kind of utopias, um, which and maybe one of my favorite books, which I always um, feel doesn't get enough, you know, attention in Glissant's work, is actually a novel. Uh, and it's a novel called Sartorius from 1999, um, which is an amazing novel about utopian Batutu people deriving identity not from a genealogy, but solely from being in constant exchange with, with others. And, uh, uh, and of course, Glissant defines utopia as something trembling, no? which transcends established systems of thought. And from the interview here with him, I'm going to quote, he said that actually um, every utopia passes through this kind of thought uh, because it must reject all categories of fixed thought and all categories of imperial thought. And that's definitely something which I think is relevant in relation to exhibitions. Now, exhibitions must always reject all categories of fixed thought and all categories of imperial thought. Because Glissant says the other trembles, the other trembles physically, geologically, mentally, spiritually, because the other world is looking um, for this, you know, point where um, actually we can be in touch, where we can meet, where we can hear one another without actually dispersing or uh, losing, in a way, ourselves. Now, there's many things in that which I think came up also in the conversations with, um, with the artist. I think one of the things which I thought was very fascinating um, and um, was, of course, and I must say, in terms of the methodology, um, we might just want to say that, of course, the research for this exhibition in Brisbane happened throughout 2021, now 22, uh, throughout many lockdowns, many lockdowns in Australia and many lockdowns in, in Europe, uh, where Assad and I world throughout this time, and uh, uh, in Australia, um, Raba and Olivia, and of course, also the institution, you know, in, in Brisbane, um, 
uh, it was a dialogue which mostly happened by by Zoom. You know, it happened it happened by Zoom, and we we decided to nevertheless do these studio visits and these reading groups. As as I mentioned, learning from Fred Morton, we we together did Christian reading groups uh, by Zoom. But we also, as we could meet and visit each other, um, we also did um, a lot of Zoom studio visits with with the artists. Um, and that, of course, is also a different way of working, which is which is important. Uh, uh, a way of working which is um, more related also to the environment. And of course, it's something which I think came up quite a lot in the conversation with the artists. It's this um, also, Mante Diabara calls Clisa an activist of the environment. You know, an activist actually, it's very beautiful because Mantia calls Clisa an activist of the environment and an activist of the natural surroundings. And throughout the process actually of us doing this research and being in touch with each other by Zoom very regularly and visiting the artists in Australia, all of us together making these joint studio visits. Throughout this time, Antia was and is in Senegal and actually works there with fishermen and pebble collectors addressing the fatal floods in a community in, in Senegal, the climate change producing a film which actually tries to find solutions um, for, um, uh, for this, which tries to, as Mantia says, create a renewed sensibility towards the land. And, and of course, tries to also think not only about activism of the environment, of the natural surroundings, but also thinks about the place, as Mantia points out, which is something so key to Clisson, where the vegetation, the landscape, the sea are characters which are as important as, as human beings. And it goes back to this idea of the utopia as a tremblement. Mantia says in Glissant there is this trembling with the world. There is this trembling of the world. And actually, yeah, to, to build a place where the landscape, the vegetation, or to be in a place where the landscape, the vegetation, the sea are characters which are as important as human beings and their differences coming to contact with one another. And Amante then goes on and says that it's about building an aesthetic of solidarity uh, with the environment. So um, uh, to, to, to to be in communion, no, and and uh, the Glissantian thought, you know, to go, uh, yeah, to, to, to be in communion. And I think one of the things which that raises is actually many things. One of the things is certainly also different ways of working which go beyond the exhibition. Uh, it was very fascinating, I think, for us three curators to, to experience uh, with the artists their desire to think about longer time horizons, you know, to, to not think about event culture. Um, and we're incredibly grateful to the institution uh, for actually, with this project in Brisbane, having committed to a project which is much more long durational. We hope that this project will last for 50 years. This is not, you know, something which is gonna stop ever. Uh, because it's uh, many of the projects of the artists um, are much more long duration, you know, than uh, than an exhibition, 
And many of these projects are also rooted. They're, they're not necessarily only rooted in Brisbane, they're actually rooted where the artists work, in a way. They're rooted, um, and I think that's a really interesting thing I wanted to uh, bring up, but I would be very curious to uh, hear you all on that topic of, of, being, of being rooted, because I think it's a very important aspect of this exhibition. And going back to Glissant, he always told me that, and, and, and told Mantia, that being rooted in one's country or one's culture or one's context is, is important, but it's only important as long it is, as, as it does not lead to the exclusion or annihilation of other people's root, uh, as long as it does not lead to the hierarchization or election of some roots over others. And kind of talking with Mantia, it then became clear to me that actually Clisson um, tells us that we need to celebrate roots, but roots that expand elsewhere. So it's about roots that touch each other. Uh, so these are not singular roots, as Mantia says, but 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 roots that cover and and roots that protect some other. I mean, I think it's ext everything that you just said, Hans Ulrike, should be underlined three times. And uh, I'm very glad that you brought up some of the projects that are happening also specifically because, you know, when you think about Megan Cope building an oyster reef, that could last for thousands of years. Um, when you think about, you know, Latai uh, doing a, a new piece that relates to the tree, which is known as the trembling tree amongst her people and was memorializing actually a slaughter that took place um, in, 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 in the history of her of her culture, uh, the, the resonances with Glisson go far into the past and far into the future. And one of the things I think that, you know, bringing up the utopia and the optimistic aspect of Glisson will do for us is it also transforms that into not a negative experience necessarily, or not purely a negative experience. And, you know, I, I think this arboreal network, which we began by talking about, is still in full force. Monica Narula, I should give credit to for that phrase, the great intellectual and uh, one third of Rux Media Collective. And, you know, all the time we're having conversations that were originally generated by this by this series of shows. Sophia Almeria was recently in touch asking about how this show is going and feels almost a kind of I thought like a kind of, you know, a sisterly feeling towards the one in Brisbane, even though she's not showing a work there. She's very excited and happy that the show goes there and was asking what people are doing. You know, obviously, now we have a new group of artists who I think will become and already are part of this arboreal network and will go into the future with that kind of a relationship. And this, uh, I think this, this trembling is going to continue. And that's sort of our responsibility to keep to keep continuing and maybe to also um, uh, transfer it to others. And, and then at some point, you know, we will drop out of the picture, but, but the, that, that trembling will continue. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's really inspiring to just think that it's more generative rather than, you know, uh, an event sort of thing, culture. Um, and that, 
you know, it would go for 50 years or potentially more and it would take on different titles, different motivations, different experiences. Um, Megan's work um, in recreating the, the, the oyster middens is, um, you know, to, to actually recreate that, um, things that were depleted for, for the lime to create a lot of the, the architecture in Brisbane, um, that to, to restore those and, and, um, you know, blow the lines between cultural practice and, and, you know, contemporary art practice, even though they're two in the same, um, but then to, to do something that's going to actually, um, restore something to the environment, um, and, and replenish the, that cultural capital from her community as well and, and, and keep building on that for generations to come and reintroducing those practices is, is massive just for the, that community um, alone. Um, and, you know, bordering the line between um, you know, ecological art and, and um, within a contemporary practice, even though they're the same, but, you know, you know, the necessity to sort of box things in and to call it one thing and then it's, it's got that label for, for so long. Um, but ultimately, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a, um, a cultural continuum where they're, they're all just sort of cultural practitioners doing um, what they do, which is, which is um, yeah, just really in, inspiring. Um, also, Robert, I think Robert Andrews' work is... is um, it is so profound um, that these kinetic sculptures, almost like assemblages, um, you know, obviously he was, he was a previous engineer um, and to, to design these things um, that is so, so impressive and he's got so much te- technical know-how to be able to, to do that, but, but con- construct an intricate apparatus that stretches from one side of the gallery to the other and then poetically just just very subtly um, uh, moving um, elements of the sculpture um, in unison or at, at different times is, is, is quite amazing. I remember when we were in an exhibition together um, down in New South Wales and um, he was up programming, writing code um, for his sculpture every night until about three or four in the morning. And that was um, half of his practice is just writing that code um, to make sure that it, it, it operated how he wanted it to. Um, so just, just those, those levels of expertise on a technical side as well is just really amazing to be able to showcase that. But, um, you know, thinking about how that relates to um, something so technical um, can also be so poetic and relate to Glissant's work. Um, through various layers as well. Yeah. And it's great to, you know, hear you speak about these different artist projects and actually made me think it could be interesting when we use this recording, you know, for for the book or for podcast or whatever it's going to use, particularly if it's used, because of course in the book, we will use it more like probably like an introduction or in a text level, but then it's used as an audio, you know, uh, or for like social media or for a podcast, then I think it's really important that we can also bring in the voices of the artists, you know, because I think it would be non-Glissantian if it's just the curators, you know, discussing the show. But there are so many moments in this conversation when we bring up examples of the artists, when we bring up examples of Glissant, 
uh, we could have artist voices also come in, you know. So I think it could be interesting if you could record also some of the artists, you know, projects in their own voice. And then maybe when you use the audio, you, you know, we could sort of collage that in. I just, it's just a thought. So that's a sort of side note mm. to make it more like a, you know, an archipelago in a way. Now, one thing I wanted to say, maybe a last thing, which is really, I think, important to, um, uh, to yeah, to, 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 to emphasize really is, is how grateful we are to, to miss, uh, and, 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 uh, and to Olivia and to the teams, you know, at, uh, at the Institute of Modern Art for, for going on this journey with us, because I think, um, it's really an extraordinary process, and um, the project kept evolving and kept changing. Um, and yeah, I think it's very rare that institutions do that and can do that. Um, and yeah, the Institute of Modern Art is truly, in a Glissantian sense, an all-world institute which enables us, you know, in such a free way to work with with you know different formats. So I just wanted to express my gratitude. Yeah, let me just sign out also by saying that uh, I have less gratitude towards institutions, which in my experience, we always have to try to get into line with the more radical ideas that we're trying to get them to think through. But in this case, uh, the institution really has supported us, <clears throat> despite my dislike of them in general. Um, and I, I think that, you know, at the end, it's the artists and it's the thinkers that are really bringing us to places. And, you know, just over the last couple of weeks, I've thought a lot about the way that Glissant uses the, the, the word subsistence. And I think that in general, what we need to do is move from an idea of a neutral, abstract existence, which is very 20th century, to an idea of subsistence, of dependent vulnerability on each other to subsist and survive um, along with the natural environment, along with the waterscape and the landscape. And so we're getting back all the time from these, from doing these projects and, you know, from existence, we move to subsistence um, through our own efforts and sometimes helped a little bit by institutions. I think it's just left for me to say thank you. Thank you all for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, it's been uh, it's been fascinating. I feel very privileged to have sat in on it. So thank you.